This is an ABC podcast. Sue Turnbull is Senior Professor of Communication and Media at the University of Wollongong. She's also the Chair of BAD, the Sydney Crime Festival. Sue, Copenhagen, what, what is it about places like that that give rise to this, this pretty dark genre, Nordic noir? What is it about the place? <laughs> well... I've been to Copenhagen on multiple occasions now, and it's a very, very beautiful city. And of course, you know, Denmark is a um, social welfare state and with a strong public service broadcasting tradition. And, um, you know, it looks pretty good from the outside. But of course, as in all kind of advanced economies, there are all these fissures and cracks and things going on beneath the surface, political corruption, big multinationals moving in. And so, as in all countries, when you start to kind of look at a city closely, you begin to see the dark underside. I wonder if I mean, we have this sort of fantasy view of, of Scandi culture and, and, and the great cities of, of Scandinavia, of their social sophistication, of their sense of, of equity and social support, but perhaps they are cultures sophisticated enough to be fully aware of that dark side and the cracks, that it's not as papered over as it might be in other places. I think that's absolutely true. And that tradition of criticising the society, the Scandinavian society, of course, actually begins in the 1960s and 70s with the two Swedish writers, um, Per Valo and uh, Marius Jorwal, if I pronunciation I is probably terrible about that, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, these two writers who were in turn influenced by Georges Simenon and uh, Ed McBain in the US, decided they were going to write a series of 10 police procedurals um, from a Marxist perspective. They were journalists, <laughs> they were critical of the society, and they thought crime fiction was the way to do this. So the Scandi noir tradition of crime fiction, which kind of begins in Sweden, um, and then follows through with Henning Mankell and of course Stieg Larsson in uh, 2005, um, that's been extremely influential. Um, in crime fiction. And then what you have in Denmark is the arrival of crime television series beginning. And of course, Australia was way ahead of the game. We were ahead of the UK in spotting the potential of um, Danish TV crime series because we were watching Unit One and The Eagle um, around about 2001 um, because the buyer at SBS had seen them and fallen in love with them <laughs> and um, it was her passion for those series that introduced them to SBS. It's, so it's before, just like Australia and ABBA all over again. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and so by the time The Killing came along, um, you know, we had Scandi crime fiction and then we had this um, emerging Danish TV crime series and the killing of course set in um, Copenhagen. The killing was when the world really noticed the Danish television crime drama and Australia was ahead. We'd seen it on SBS in um, 2010 but it was when it appeared on the BBC4 in the UK at, that everybody noticed and it really went off in the UK, you know, most most memorably the fact that um, Sarah Lund gave Camilla Parker Bowles a pharaoh's sweater her, her, uh, because her she was such a fan of the show. 
<laughs> so everybody suddenly sat up and went, what is going on? And the killing focused attention on this very dark, uh, rather wonderful TV crime drama with this female character as the policewoman with problems with a problem with son and with some sort of problem with emotionally connecting. And then it, it this atmosphere of darkness and threat and the look of Nordic noir, as it as it was called, which of course harked back to film noir, which was where those two connections started to be made. Except with a sort of a bleak modernism about it, it's it, which I suspect as much tells us a bit about the place. I mean, what, what does the killing tell us about Copenhagen as a city? Yeah, I was thinking about this. It oddly enough, I don't think the city figures. Um, in any immediate way. It's, it's, to me, it's more about the interiors. And I became immediately fascinated by the killing, by the interiors, by, by how people were living in these spaces and how dark they were. And um, once the bridge actually appeared, I, I became even more fascinated because you had that combination of going from Denmark to Sweden across the Oresund Bridge. And I've actually done that trip myself now several times. And um, the way in which these two countries are so proximate and yet really quite different and and send each other up. But once the bridge <laughs> was on, I became completely fascinated by, um, by the central character, the male character's dining chairs. And I started realizing that I was as much interested <laughs> as in the interior, the Danish interior design as I was by the crimes that were unfolding. Well, I wonder if that's a thing too. I mean, and perhaps for, for people in a, in a temperate climate like us here in Australia to imagine a city like Copenhagen in a, in, in a more harsh and inhospitable world for much of the year where, where the interior of buildings takes on a greater significance when we are living far more indoors and we are focused on that part of the world. I think it, it's we become fascinated by the otherness of it. It becomes the exotic because it's not our experience. And, and you know, watching people walk through slush-filled streets <laughs> um, when you're sitting, you know, in the middle of a, um, a heat wave is actually, I find, very cooling. I find yes. <laughs> <laughs> the bridge you, you have mentioned, and, and and the bridge and the killing is sort of the the great pair of of programs that that, that take us into this this world. That, can we dip a bit more deeply? And you you've mentioned it, the connection, the bridge being the physical manifestation of it between Denmark and Sweden, and the, the points of difference that we might find there. Well, there's a wonderful moment in um, the bridge where the Danish detective travels over to Sweden and he's bought Danish pastries. And um, there's a sort of debate about, you know, the wonderfulness of Danish pastries by the Swedes, but the Swedes are sort of very off-putting. And he seems to be the warm, um, enthusiastic, beer-drinking, affable Dane versus the very cool, remote kind of um, withholding Swedes. And that set up in that series in ways that if you don't know that difference, you don't get the joke. And I'm, I became part of a project which was what makes Danish TV travel. And it was explained to me very early on that as an Australian, I didn't understand that difference. I didn't understand what was going on in the bridge because I wasn't quite aware of those cultural tensions. It, it was a little bit like Melbourne and Sydney and the tension between those two um, capitals, but different. You know, we're talking about slightly different language and we're talking about um, 
age-old tensions between two countries whose histories differ quite profoundly. But in that in that in that dichotomy between the the, the Sybaritic and the somewhat more reflective city, I'm, I'm guessing Copenhagen is Sydney. Yes, I would say definitely, um, and its relationship to the water. Um, Stockholm, of course, it's also, um, you know, very much the waterways and all the rest of it, but it's further north and it's colder. Um, so it is, yes, it's definitely Melbourne. <laughs> Does this make Copenhagen then, for, for people elsewhere, something of a sort of a, of a gateway city to Scandinavia? It's, it's less of a leap than might be, say, Stockholm or places further north. Yeah, because you can drive there. Um, I was astonished when I was working on this project that we had one member who was living in Berlin and she would drive up to Aarhus, which is the second largest city in um, in Denmark. Um, and she would arrive there, you know, happily by car. So it's that whole notion of it being more connected, more accessible. You know, you can drive to Copenhagen from anywhere in Europe. Scandinoir, I mean, you, you consider that this idea in, in depth and, and ask the question, is, is it a brand or a genre? <laughs> what, what have you concluded? <laughs> there is so much that has been written about this now. Um, and indeed, you know, that debate is ongoing. But it's quite clear that genres are usually arrive and are usually named after the event, you know, it's the critics, it's the commentators, mm. and it's the audience, and it's the industry, it's the booksellers who then say, oh, we've got this thing here, let's call it that. We need because, a framework for it. <laughs> yes, and then everybody goes, oh, it's this, it's, it's the Nordic Noir. Um, but the debate that goes on is, is whether indeed it does have specific characteristics that make it something noir and then there's the whole relationship to um, film noir and of course the literature on film noir, neo-noir, post-noir is enormous in itself. But there seems to be a general agreement that certainly um, series like The Killing and The Bridge have a relationship with film noir that, that is both aesthetic and it's both emotional because it's about a fairly bleak, fairly dark world and it's about a world that is shot um, in ways in the classic film noir, you know, it would be black and white, illuminated by torchlight. And if you look at the killing right from the start, you've got shades of blue, dark brown, and, you know, use of flashlights and dark corners. And so th there are those parallels there as well. So I think the, the, the safest answer to that is it's both. And of course, it, it becomes perhaps a little more diluted over time. I, I'm in the middle and enjoying, I must say, the first series of Follow the Money. Um, which is a bit down the track from things like The Killing and The Bridge and yet still set in that world uh, of, 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 of business and interiors and, and, and underbelly. <laughs> it, look, it's fascinating because as, a, as a, a genre and as a brand, Nordic Noir has evolved and mm. it's travelled. And you can actually see... Um, the ways in which it, it sort of got inflected into Australian productions. So the wonderful Foxtel series Secret City, based on um, the books of Chris Ullman and others and his partner, who are, you know, journalists, political journalists. Secret City has all the hallmarks of Nordic Noir, you know, a tall blonde heroine uh, who's a journalist and the wonderful ways in which um, uh, Canberra is actually made to look 
um, sexy and Nordic and the architecture features in various sorts of ways. The modernism is there. And then another series like The Kettering Incident filmed in Tasmania, again for Foxtel. Um, that has very close links to the Swedish series Jordskop. So what we've seen is these series pick up, take certain characteristics, um, build on those. And indeed, even a series like Mystery Road set in Outback Australia owes a legacy to Nordic noir. And I've been fascinated to trace these because that transnational circulation um, has has been one of the strongest features of the um, the last decade. And yet at, at the core of all of this, and to take us back to our, our source here, the, the city of Copenhagen, and its paradoxes, the the, it's the paragon of egalitarianism and social democracy producing this darkness, the, the disturbing narratives uh, in the underbelly, underbelly of the, the sleek modern city. It, it's a beautiful pair of contrasts. It is. And if you've ever been in Copenhagen on a Saturday morning and you've seen the litter... Um, there's something something seems to happen. I've seen it in Aarhus and I've seen it in Copenhagen that um, the Danes go slightly mad in summer because, you know, you've, you've got so many more hours of daylight. <laughs> they stay up very late and they don't seem to deal with litter bins. And so you actually have this beautiful, beautiful city. First thing on a Saturday morning, it's absolutely trashed and someone has to come in and fix it up. And I sort of see that as being a little bit like Nordic Noir. It tends to be <laughs> it tends to bring the trash out. Sue, thank you very much. Thank you. Sue Turnbull.